We're speaking on prayer here, verses 7 through 11. And God's bidding us to prayer, to come to Him. And uh, let me give you a little illustration here. Last Sunday night, as this gentleman writes in a commentary, Rod Mattoon, he said, was the first communion service that Autumn Joy, our five-year-old, attended. Linda explained to her ahead of time that she would not get any grape juice or cracker when the time came and the elements were being passed down the pews. She was not a happy camper. My 18-year-old Katie was being a stinker and did not help matters when she whispered to Autumn, it's candy and you don't get any. That night when Linda was tucking Autumn to bed, Autumn asked her mother, why did I not get any juice? Linda proceeded to tell her that she needed to ask Jesus in her heart first. It did not register, Autumn asked, but how do I get the juice? Linda began to explain again the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so we could have eternal life. Again interrupting, Autumn asked, but how do I get the juice? Our five-year-old did not want to hear anything but the answer to her simple question, how do I get the juice? Don't make it complicated. Don't give me requirements. Just get to the point, <laughs> she was asserting. We tend to be the same, same, same way, too, when it comes to spiritual matters like salvation or prayer. We want to know how to get the juice. In other words, how do I get things from God? How do I get my prayers answered? How do I go to heaven? Don't make it complicated. Don't give me requirements. Just tell me in simple terms, how can I get provision, protection, perception, and direction from God. Jesus, in simple terms, he writes, gives us the answer right here. You could say that he tells us how to get the juice. He tells us how to get things from God, but he gives us what some folks don't want to hear. He gives us the requirements. They're not complicated, but they are necessary. People want to go to heaven, but they don't want to hear the requirements, which says that you must put your faith in Christ for your salvation, not your good deeds or church. Folks want their prayers answered, but they don't want to hear the requirements. Do you want the juice? Here's how you get it. End quotes. So here in Matthew chapter 7, verses, uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, and um, let's read this here. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What man is there of you? Whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And the passage of Scripture is unbelievably powerful. The power to the Christian's life, the juice, if you would, a very source for strength. You know, in John chapter 15, it tells us, if you want to turn there, John 15, verses 5 through 8, about the need of abiding in the Father. And the abiding is where I, moment by moment, I want to be with Him. And I want to be there in communion, in harmony with my Father. John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If a, man, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will. And it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. The attachment to the vine and abiding in Christ is absolutely essential and vital to our Christian life. There is no spiritual life apart from God. The discussion and passage today may seem to be a di bit distance from the first six verses, but in fact, they are progressive. Regarding, there's a, 
there's a sequence of thoughts. And the progression of Christ's teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount is specifically targeting those believers who want to follow God and not their own fleshly desires. The whole chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount in discipleship. It is a communication that you and I want to have with God. Why are there so many people that love the idea of asking from God and there is an expectation for God to answer without any requirements from God on my behalf? Jesus teaches us the importance of prayer and his love, but also the condition of our hearts in entering into prayer. May your prayers to God be from a pure heart in seeking his glory. This will be a several-week study. And as I was going through this study, just, man, it's rich. It's amazing. I mean, it's just like a gold mine. There's so much here. I mean, I still have a lot of study to do and spent a lot of time this week on this sermon. And, but my heart was richly blessed, encouraged. And I trust today you'll be blessed as we look again at God's word. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time and then we'll have a word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield today to thee. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being our dear and precious Savior. Father, we sure don't deserve your goodness, but I am so thankful for it. You're an amazing God. And Lord, as we talk about prayer this morning, Lord, how each and every one of us need that vital lifeline, the lifeblood of abiding in the vine. Lord, I pray as I preach your precious word that every word would be accurate, precise, Father, I pray that you would help us with wherever we're at in life to realize how good you are. So, Father, I love you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. The principle this morning is may your prayers to God be from a pure heart seeking his glory. And I was... As I'm going through this passage, the thought came to mind, I wanted to look really at the logical expression of thought in all of the commands of Christ. And they come in the verb form as an imperative. And so I went back through chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and I looked at all the imperatives. And uh, I wanted to get an idea here, and so let's, and, and this does draw on a sequence with where God is going with this, where where the Bible is going and where and Jesus is going as he's preaching this very sermon. John chapter 5, and this is where we'll look first, and we're going to look at these commands. Because I think as in that you find the sequence, as he's speaking in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, 7 is our main passage this morning. It became apparent that the condition of my relationship to others affects how God relates to me. Do you realize in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us, follow peace, meaning actively pursue peace, with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You said, Pastor, how does this have to deal with prayer? Just follow along with me. You see, your purity of life brings peace. As it tells us, follow peace with all men in holiness, 
So there's a trying to reconcile with man, humans, and holiness or purity before God. That there's no known sin in my life that I'm actively continuing to partake in, and I want to be pure before God, without which no man shall see the Lord. It's telling us here that I I need to seek for reconciliation, but I also need to be right with God. I need to have that relationship where if there's sin in my life, I need to make it right. But also in this, the purity of life brings peace, and I must be diligently looking at how I'm giving out the grace of God towards others. Otherwise, I will be caught in the tangled web of bitterness and unforgiveness. Your human relationships affect your your heavenly relationship with God. You see, God's grace bestowed upon all of us so freely. And I am to bestow that grace upon others, especially when they wrong me. Or else, you and I will be caught in the growing roots of bitterness upon our lives, and it'll tangle itself up all around us. Now, I want you to look with me. It's interesting here, as we follow, if I look through these commands, as we come to the ask and it shall be given you, we come to prayer. And Jesus is making a sequence of thoughts and building on all of these thoughts. If you look with me at the first command we find in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 16 of Matthew 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the very first command that is given here in the Sermon on the Mount, this is a command of a wholehearted experience that your entire life is to be given to shining my light of Christ before others. It says your good works ought to make God look good, to glorify Him. Our whole, as a whole, our entire being is consumed with shining my light so that others may see and glorify my Father and your Father which is in heaven. There's a concern for God of how I live my life. The first command that God gives us, that Christ gives us, on the discipleship sermon is let your light shine. Think about this. The prominence that Christ puts on making sure our lives are a living testimony that reflects the one I love most and you love most. Realizing the sequence of thought and teaching, the very next command, I want you to look with me at the very next command that he gives. Verse 24. He says, leave. Leave there, verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to the brother and then come and offer thy gift. So the command is leave, go, and offer. Actually, leave, go, reconcile, be reconciled, and offer is the commands in verse 24. They're all imperatives. Matthew 5, 24. All of these, as a whole, he says, leave where you're at. Leave in the worship of God. Go personally, go thy way. Be reconciled as a whole to thy brother. If 
you've wronged someone, he says, you need to make it right. And then he says, then I'll take your worship. In the lighting of the light shining, he says, you must be reconciled with a brother whom you've offended. Before God wants any worship, before he talks about prayer, he says, demand for reconciliation. You see, we don't shine a light for Christ if we won't seek reconciliation with those who have issue with you. The mention of a brother is a fellow believer here. You know the whole context of this, verses 22 through 25. I'm taking this sequence of all these commands because it's very indicative of what God wants from our lives. But in the shining of my light, if you're not right with someone, you don't shine your light very well. If there's any bitterness in your life, you're not shining that light for Christ very well. God is so concerned, not only with my relationship with him and abiding in the vine, but he's also concerned about my horizontal relationships. Of those that might have wronged me, realize the very first relationship he talks about after the command to let your light shine is with those who may have offended Verses 22 through 25. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Verse 23 of Matthew 5. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, command, verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way, second command. Be reconciled. First, be reconciled to thy brother, excuse me, and then come and offer thy gift. That word agree is to make friends quickly with your opponent. Settle the case. And sometimes you might just need to agree to disagree, but nevertheless, settle the differences without holding any grudges. This is a command that's not open for discussion or your debate. It's a matter of whether... You want your light to shine. You realize he tells us another command here, verse 37. The next command that is given here, in verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. That let your communication. If you're not truthful, Again, it's another relationship thing that Jesus is saying. If you want your light to shine, be reconciled, be truthful. Liars are a bad testimony for Christ. Then in verse 39, But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn, is another command, to him the other also. Be willing to be offended Inconvenience by evil. Reconciliation is the very ministry of the believer. Do you realize this? Look with me at verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. He's saying all of this before we get to prayer. Your prayer life, you think... Our relationships 
just with God, that I can avoid those individuals that might have wronged me and hurt me. But I'm telling you, as Jesus is giving this sermon on discipleship and a relationship with him, he talks about relationships before he ever gets to prayer. You realize, I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 this morning. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, means to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, me, not accounting their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, the believers, the word of reconciliation. There's a need for forgiveness, not revenge. This whole section, after verse 25, deals with restoration of relationship. Verse 41, here's another one. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. This is Matthew 5, 41, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 5, 41. You must be willing to go with those who ask you. Have a spirit that is more focused on Christ than yourself. Stop being selfish. Start being concerned with the image of Christ before the heathen. Your light doesn't shine if you are not seeking the reconciliation with those who may have hurt you. Sometimes you can't if a person is passed on. Uh, there might be extenuating circumstances. But almost all, I mean, many times you can seek reconciliation. Now understand this, with the Pharisees, Jesus, he just told them the truth on that. He wasn't seeking to offend them, but the truth did offend them. But I'm not talking about that. I'm seeking, he's saying, brothers, believers. Verse 42, here's another command. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. A willingness to help your enemy. Willingness to not regard as an outcast. Is it important that I shine my light? Yes, but Jesus is telling me how to shine that light. How to pray. How to have a relationship. And and I'm I'm getting there, I promise you. We are getting a sequence here. Follow along with me, verse 44. Here's another command. Love. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why do I do that? Verse 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For make it the sun to rise on the evil and the good and send it the rain on the just and the unjust. You must let your light shine. Christian, we have been called to first shine that light. And if my light, in order to let that light shine, I have to deal with earthly relationships. I've got to seek reconciliation. I've got to allow forgiveness and give forgiveness. He tells us, let your light shine, how to do it, and it's not just a parade with our lips. So there's a demand here, and the first demand in the shining of light is reconciliation. Number two, chapter six, in the next sequence, is genuineness, not self-righteous hypocrisy. We find the first command in chapter six, take heed, verse one. 
But you do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He says, listen, don't do what you do. Don't do your Christian ministry to, he to heap the praises of man. Verse 3, but when thou doest thine alms, here's the next command, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. He's saying, listen here. To let know. You are to continually let, in this action here, let not know. You're not working for God and doing God's work that you, again, the Pharisees were all about their praises and what they could receive from the accolades of men, the, the praises and accomplishments and, and all of the uh, congratulations of man. He gives us here, and then you look at the, the Lord's Prayer, as we oftentimes call it, verses 9 through 13, and here's an example of true humility in prayer. As he said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, that's a command, be thy name, thy kingdom come, another command, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And I've, I've gone through that, but that, that, that whole that prayer, that sermon that Jesus has given here is an attitude of submission. Not look at me. It's all about Jesus. What is that? That's shining your light. Verse 16 and 17, another passage where we have commands in chapter 6. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites. Be. And then verse 18, but when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. You're not doing fasting to look like you're hungry. No, you're going to clean yourself up and you're going to look like you do every day. This shining, it's all, it's all dealing. He first deals with reconciliation. He next deals with genuineness of your faith. I'm not doing it for other people to give me an applause. And then he comes to verse 19, the next set of commands. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So you find a contentedness in Christ. If I'm going to let my light shine, I'm not concerned with accumulating material possessions in this life. Now, there's nothing wrong with having something nice, but that is not my focus. My focus goes back to let your light shine. He says in verse 25, another command, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. The continual possession. Don't worry about your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat. Verse 33, but seek. Here's another command. First, the kingdom of God. As righteous, all these things shall be added to you. There's a contentedness that I'm just happy that I've got a relationship with God. I'm content in Him, I'm abiding. He tells me how to shine my light. Relationships, genuineness, contentedness. And then in verse 7, verses 1 through 7, 1 through 6, excuse me, 
chapter 7, verse 1, judge not. He's saying, listen, put off the critical spirit. The Pharisees were, they were notorious for this idea of criticizing the external of an individual, not worrying necessarily about the heart. So you have judge, then you have verse 4, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is thine own eye, in verse 4. And then he says in verse 5, thou hypocrite, first cast. Altogether, he says, listen, examine your own life. Examine where you're at. You know what? It's easy to criticize, but it's sometimes very slow to look at my own life and say, hey, there's some real problems internally. There's some real issues in my life. Discernment. <laughs> That's another relational thing here. Light shine, reconciliation. Then he deals with uh, I'm drawing a blank there. Uh, genuineness, contentedness, discernment, not being critical, right? That's really what he's saying in this judge not. He's saying, listen, you need to discern truth, but don't be critical. Don't be a hypocrite. If you're going to say something, follow through with it. Don't just be, you know. And then, so in summary of this, letting your light shine how? By reconciliation with those who have ought against you. You desire, so you put aside the desires of the flesh. Madness, anger, revenge, etc. By genuine faith. You don't want to be seen. Uh, you don't want to have a pride before man. You're not working and not doing for God to receive the congratulations of man. By contentedness, the lust of the eyes. You're content with what God gives you and you're working for eternity. And then spiritual discernment, not a temporal criticism. When you've done this, now we get to the point of verse 7. Ask. I want you to look with me at Psalm 66, 18. We come to the prayer now. Now, God does tell us, and I'm getting there, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. I'm not saying that we, we, we ought to come to God in prayer. But as I come... I'm going to come in a humility and saying, God, oh God, please deal with any sin in my life, and I want you to follow. I want not you to follow. I want to follow you. Excuse me. Let me correct that. And Lord, I need your help. There's a humility, and I'm getting there, I promise. So if you're thinking, I've got to do all this stuff, just, just hold on. Okay. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me, hath attended the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. You know what, there's an evaluation. And God calls me to come to the Father. He calls you and I. But he wants us to come in a state of humility. Isaiah 59, look with me here, Isaiah, verse 59, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Isaiah 59. You see, friend, 
we are entering into the very presence of our Creator, our Savior. He's our Father, if you know Him as Jesus Christ. If you know Him, if you've been born again, you, He's your Father, and He wants you to come. I want to bring him glory as I live out my life. He's given us some instructions of how to make him look good. How to have the world that people would say, whoa, something different. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with the blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. And in this passage of Scripture, Israel is giving prayers to God as mere religious rituals. They're just throwing up something very casually. And our God, as we find in the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Heart. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11, but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it has come to pass. That as he cried, and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Here's the, in this verse, God's saying, please, please turn from your ways. The people are saying no. And as they rebel against what they know they should do, then when trouble comes, Because of their sinfulness, they cry, help me. But they're not crying in repentance, oh God. I'm willing to do whatever is necessary to make it right. They're just saying, help me out of this hard situation. Please turn off the check engine light. Just look with me. Proverbs 28, 9. See, God is concerned with the direction of our heart. He's concerned with how I approach Him. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9. I'm all off this morning. Proverbs 28, 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law Listen, God might be giving you some instruction through someone, and here's the word of God. Here's what the word of God clearly says. Even his prayer should be abomination. You get the word, you get the truth of God, you don't want it. God says, then if you pray to me, your prayer is an abomination. Because you're resisting me. I want to ask you this morning a question. Is God concerned with the condition of your heart as you approach him? I would say most certainly. There's an abundance of prayers that speak of the need for a right heart with God. Possessing a muddy, dirty heart in God's presence, if you're not willing to deal with the mud and the dirt, is reprehensible. 
many times that mud and dirt is with the relationships of those around you. And you failed the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You failed that. Now as he comes to this very, the very statement, ask, Jesus is saying continually ask, we find that he's dealt with relationships, contentedness, that in my light shining, I just want God. I just want him. I want to make him look good. I don't care what happens to me. I don't, I'm, I'm not concerned about myself, but I am concerned about him. And I come before him, and, and I'm broken, and I'm humble, and I just said, God, help. Do you realize this? That this command of asking here, all that he's been building up, is repeated over and over of those who will offend offend you or you will offend them in your own pride. And you will not be, or not being content with God or placing yourself as God over others. You see, in this prayer, when I'm coming to God, I'm coming in humility. I'm coming, God. I just need you. Because the approach of asking, he showed us how to draw the line between a critical spirit and a discerning spirit. He knows our frame, so he did not give us a list of rules. He simply said, ask, seek, and knock. You realize just before this, in the passage of scripture about the judge not, there's a, God doesn't want this critical spirit. Oh, did you see how so-and-so... There's a lot of things. We're all at different spiritual levels. We're growing. In Matthew 18, 19, and I, again I say to you, the two you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them for them of my Father which is in heaven. There's a harmony and reconciliation with brothers, and it brings the answered prayer. God's saying, I want reconciliation amongst brothers. I want unity. He says, I, I want you to be right. I want you to be content. I want you to have discernment. I want you to, you know, not be, be genuine. Your faith in me ought to be true. You want your light to shine. And I'm coming to God with a realization that's my aim. Let your light shine. Do, I want you to look with me. And again, this idea of unity in the prayers that God is desiring. There's, and, and I'm going to talk about some vain prayers, but I don't have time for that this morning. But in John chapter 15, I mean this, I, I started studying and I'm like, oh my word, this has gotten to a big. But it's, it's incredible as I think about what God wants from me. I was an enemy of his, and yet he still forgave me. He wants reconciliation with you and me. What makes you think that he doesn't want us to be reconciled with others? I'm not saying compromise, but he says we might, you know, as Jesus dealt with those with whom he wouldn't agree because they were doctrinally wrong and they were leading others astray. But nevertheless, his desire was that people would let their light shine, that they would know the Father, they would know the privileges they have as a child of God, they would know what God's will is for their life. God's desire in this ask, seek, and knock, my friend, 
He's given us the, the, the very tools and the, the steps. And the first thing is relationships here on earth. I think it's quite important. John 15, 16 and 17. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. He's talking about the disciples. You should go and bring forth fruit. That's what his desire is. He said, that you, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I have command you that you love one another. Unity. Acts 1.14, and these, continued, these all continue with one accord, one mind, one purpose. And that's Acts 1.14. Revelation 12, verse 12, rejoice, uh, not Revelation, Romans 12, 12, excuse me, rejoicing in hope, patient tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. But he says in Romans 12, 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that was evil, cleave to that which is good. You love God, you love the law of God, you love the Bible, you love the word of God, you love the people of God. And in this asking, you don't, you don't have a critical spirit. You don't have bitterness. And he tells us, ask. Ask. The command that he gives right before this, and the judge not, is to avoid the critical spirit and to examine myself for how he sees me, not how you, not you, how you or I see me. Now, understand this, in that command of judge not, understand that if, if you do make some assessments, you will be judged. <laughs> They're going to watch you. Uh, people watch. I, I've had it in the past, and I said I was a Christian, and there were things I did that weren't very Christ-like, and then I had people say, hey, <laughs> you know, and, and I was wrong. But here's Here's something that's really cool. I've got to finish up here. That word ask there, there's two Greek words of ask in the word of God. One is eratao. And this suggests that the petitioner is on equal footing. It's like one king telling another king. We're equal. Eratao was used of a king in making requests from one king to another. Jesus would do that with his father. But the word here, ask, is aiteo, and that means of a servant asking of a master. You see, there's a humility that you and I are coming before the great creator, Jesus Christ, the God of all gods, and I realize my position. It would be like a child asking of their parent, a, a, a beggar, you know, uh, asking a king. Jesus never used this word when praying to God the Father. He never used this word. But he tells us to ask. He tells us to come. You see, humility is important. In your prayer life, I'm not telling God what to do. I'm coming before he who made this world. I'm entering into the presence of he who is all-powerful. He who made me knows all about me. Who's concerned with my well-being and yours. 
my friend, as you think about this, our God, He wants a relationship with you. Of you and I coming before His throne, and He says, ask. And as I'm willing to ask, and I'm willing to deal with things in my life, He says, listen, I want to give to you. And I'll talk more about that, but You see, Christian, in your prayer life, are you praying, telling God what to do, or are you praying and beseeching or asking, pleading with God to hear your prayers? As you think about all of this, understand, in my prayer life, God is concerned, let my light shine. That involves my relationships with humanity involves discernment and contentedness with God. Critical, not being critical. And he says, listen, I want to help. I want to help. We've got to have that humility of heart as I come before him, just saying, please help me. And you know what, my friend? God tells us, ask, shall be given you. And I'll talk more about that. But it's reassuring to know I'm going to leave you with this final verse, and then I'll bring it to a conclusion. I'll bring it to the invitation. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14 of Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm coming before him, realizing that I, deserve, I need his mercy, I need his grace to help me where I'm at. I'm coming in humility. Prayer is a humble position before our God, requesting from Him. And I trust that would be the position of our heart as I come before Him in humility. Brokenness, openness, transparency. And we will see Him answer as He helps us in our lives. So for the time of invitation this evening, I want to ask you, number one, as I've talked about, as He's building up in all this ideas of commands of our relationships maybe there's some people that you've wronged or that have ought or unforgiveness and I, I don't know what they've done I know sometimes there's some horrible things but as I ask God please help me please help me I'm coming in humility please help me forgive please help me to be content please help me to have discernment Please help me not to be critical. In every one of these things, God's desire, he says, ask. That's a command. He tells us to continually ask. Our Father wants that relationship. So as you think upon these things this morning, I trust you take it to heart. Don't go away from the Lord. Come in humility. Understanding who we are knowing that he is the answer. I trust 
If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't need to reform your life. You need to come in brokenness, understand your condition as a lost sinner, asking Jesus to forgive you of all your sins, and you'll be saved. Come in brokenness. And Christian, day by day, I just come to my Father, and I ask Him for help. You know what he says? He calls me to ask. And I trust that would be the position of your heart. So as we come to the time of invitation this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, no music playing this morning, just a time for you and the Lord to pray. And so during this invitation period, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I trust you take some time as the word of God has gone forth, and you would understand. He says, come boldly. But that asking is a place of humility. I'm not telling God what to do. I'm just asking, pleading with him. There's a lot more to see here in this passage on prayer, but it's encouraging. We have a God who wants to hear from you and I. I trust you do business with God at this time as we conclude here shortly. Take some time to pray. And when you're done praying, feel free to finish up, and then I'll conclude us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Lord, I want to thank you as we, as you've given a command in discipleship, the first command is let your light shine. And you told us how to do it, things to avoid, how to make it right. And Father, I pray that we would be obedient. Lord, in this whole sequence, God, you've called us into prayer not with a critical spirit, be in genuineness and content and reconciled. Father, there's many times we struggle and we need your help. I pray that you'd lead us as the psalmist prayed, lead us to the rock that is higher than I. And Father, we need your help. We can't do it. God, we need your guidance and direction. And so, Father, I yield this morning to thee. I pray, should there be anyone that is not saved, that they would ask how to be saved this morning. How they can know for sure they're on their way to heaven. And maybe there's some this morning that are struggling with reconciliation. Reconciling with others that might have been wronged. And they know that someone has something against them. Father, I pray that that would be reconciled. I pray, Father, that there would also be genuineness and put aside a critical spirit of seeing myself as better than I am and just as you see me. Lord, in humility, we come before you. We thank you for this time and your word. I love you and thank you for your grace and all that you've done and all that you will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.